We're picking up speed as we move here through the remaining 20 chapters or so of the book of Genesis. If you turn to chapter 31, chapter 31, the book of Genesis tonight. Now you're all probably going, you aren't going to try and get all 55 verses tonight. I think, yep, we sure are. So get ready to dig in. This chapter is actually a narrative and as you look at it, you'll see exactly why. I think it's a good thing we try and tackle the whole chapter because really here chapter 31 is this this singular story that presents this really picture of each of our lives in a lot of ways. Any of you ever have a little bit of difficulty of actually discerning the will of the Lord and maybe how God moves in your life to get you to go someplace, maybe when you're a little resistant to it. Anybody ever have a problem with that? Uh, you're you're going to get a little help tonight from chapter 31 here in the life of Jacob. You see, very often, even after we've lived our lives in in a way that we believe is pleasing to the Lord, we've made decisions that we believe are pleasing to the Lord, sometimes we still kind of settle back into, well, it's kind of comfortable right here where I'm at. And God has been speaking to you. God, maybe some of you tonight, God's been speaking into your life. And you believe he's caused you to take a step of faith, but you're having a little bit of a difficulty taking that step of faith. Moving out in that direction that the Lord wants you to go. And that certainly is the picture uh, as we take Genesis chapter 31 and the life of Jacob as he now is going to be set free. You see, being set free, being free at last, getting out of that place that he was in slavery to Laban, leaving that place that he was at where he was being taken advantage of is going to take not only some strength on his part, but it's going to take some work on his part. It's not just God's strength working in him. It's going to be Jacob's effort. Uh, A beautiful picture that we find in the book of James that faith without works is dead. That we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. Ultimately, we can even have a pretty good sense of what God's doing and we can still be resistant to doing it because of the cost, because it's going to actually cause us to actually have to do a little bit of work on our own. And those steps of faith very often in that particular genre of faith where we're really not quite sure, but we're pretty certain God wants us to go. Sometimes the Lord employs some very strong measures and he's going to do that in Jacob's life tonight. Would you pray with me and we'll pick up in verse 1 here in Genesis 31. Father, we thank you for the life of Jacob and how it ministers to us. In our day and time, Lord, this story of a family, a man that, Lord, was a deceiver himself and then he himself was deceived, a man who didn't tell the truth and then others didn't tell the truth to him, a man who was led by his flesh and then began to walk in the spirit. And so, Lord, in many ways, we can see a little bit of Jacob in each of us. There may be a few of us tonight that are a little bit like Laban, Lord, willing to take advantage of other people. Lord, willing to say whatever's necessary to get what we want. And we pray that you'd speak to us through your word tonight, that you'd move us, Lord, to take action in those areas of faith where you've called us to step out. And so, God, we commit it to you and pray that you bless us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Verse 1, Genesis 31. And now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob Jacob has taken away all of that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he's acquired all of his wealth. And so it, it became very evident that Jacob was blessed of God. And it also became very evident that Jacob is going to get the, the lion's share uh, of the flock that's, that's there in Padam Aram. But the kids are not really okay with that. The, the family is in an upheaval over it. And they're about to kind of set out on a little plot to see if they can get it back from Jacob. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. And so Jacob and Laban had made this agreement. I'm going to take the, the spotted lambs and the multicolored sheep, and he's going to take this place of animal husbandry seriously, and he's going to uh, breed these crossbreed these animals that are of the multicolors. He's going to end up with basically all the flock. That's really what's happened. And so Laban's flock is going down and Jacob's is going up. And verse 3, and this is part of the important part here in this first section. Then the Lord said to Jacob, underline it. The Lord said to Jacob, God is going to speak to Jacob. And, and we'll get into the depths of how God does that. That's really the issue here. The Lord said to Jacob, and I can tell you how God's speaking to each of you tonight, and that's through what the Lord says. And the chief way that we hear that in our day and time, though it's not the only way, is through simply studying his word. God speaks through what he says, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by his word. And so as we read the word of the Lord, as we listen to what God says, it is incumbent upon us to actually do it. God can be speaking all day long. He can speak into our lives through what he says, but it is on us to actually be doers of the word. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your family, and I will be with you. God blesses obedience. And when God speaks to us and we listen we can expect the blessings of obedience. God's saying here, look, if you want me to be with you in essence, and he's not making a, a promise so much in the sense if you do this, he'll do that. It's not conditional. But he is saying, look, if you really want to experience the best I have for you, then I'm asking you to do what I'm telling you to do. And that is go where you are supposed to be because you're not supposed to be here, Jacob. You were supposed to be in Bethel, but you stopped part way. You took a detour. I told you to go back to the house of God. I told you to get back to where you're supposed to be dwelling. And because of fear, a little bit of fear, and we're going to see that in the remainder of the chapter, you've taken a little detour and you stopped before you got to the house of God. You compromised. And so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance. That is not as favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all of my might, I have served your father. 
God asks us to be obedient to those that he's placed over us, even those that we may not like or those that we disagree with. And Laban certainly had taken advantage of Jacob, but Jacob, to his credit, was faithful that he was even the the best employee, if you will, that Laban had. So when Jacob worked for Laban, he didn't do less for Laban than he would have done for the Lord himself. He believed he was in that circumstance, in that situation, because God had placed him there and he made the best of it. And so we should as well. He said, you know, I I really didn't hold anything back. When I served your father, I did everything I could to bless him. Even though Laban wasn't uh, exactly a blessing to Jacob, amen? And yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God didn't allow him to hurt me. Can I tell you, in our lives, in your life, and in mine, we can trust God to keep his promises. If God has put you into a situation and God has left you in that situation, and that situation is hard, you can also be assured that the Lord is going to get you out of it and he is going to use the situation itself. God will be good to you even though others have chosen to do the wrong thing. God will always do the right thing. God didn't allow him to hurt him. That didn't mean that Jacob didn't go through difficulty or Jacob didn't go, to, go through trouble. But all of this time that was spent, in essence, building up the livestock and the flocks of Laban were eventually going to become something good in the life of Jacob. God is not asking us to sort out all the details in other people's life. He is asking us to listen to him and do what he says and let him bless us. The results are in his hands. I didn't allow him to hurt me. Verse 8. And if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks that bore were speckled. I love this. So you can see the hand of the Lord because this makes no sense as far as even selective breeding or genetics. It's basically what God said happened. That's the message here. When God says something... God does it. He will actually take it on himself to get it done. And if he said thus, the streaked one shall be your wages, then the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. You see, God has been faithful to me because I was faithful to God. Now, was Jacob perfectly faithful? No, he wasn't. But his heart was right. As messed up as his actual application of his faithfulness was, Jacob was still actually seeking to please God. And I know some of you in here haven't been perfect in your implementation of what God has told you to do. And sometimes the enemy tries to rip you off by saying, well, look, you weren't perfect. But I want you to look at this passage and see that God's faithfulness was not conditioned solely on Jacob doing everything perfectly. Amen? It was Jacob getting about his father's business and doing what he could. As imperfectly as it was, God was still going to be faithful. You serve that same faithful God. I serve that same faithful God tonight. God is still faithful. 
And we need to leave him as the faithful God. Sometimes we almost hang unfaithfulness on God. It's like things don't quite work out the way we think they should. And we go, well, you know, God's not, God didn't bless me. Can I tell you that some of the greatest blessings you will ever receive are the things that God does not give you that you ask for? Amen? Because you've asked him for some pretty lame things. And you ought to be really thankful he did not give them to you. Because he actually knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. I have asked God for lame things. Sometimes we ask God, maybe it's a, you know, new, some new position or a new house or a new spouse. You know, there are some of you that are like, well, you know, Lord, if you can't change her, just get rid of her. <laughs> and God's trying to change you. God's trying to work in your life. God's actually speaking into your life. And the thing that really needs to change is you, because here's the problem. All those other things can change, but you're still going to be stuck with you. At the end of the day, you're still going to be you and I'm still going to be me. So God is faithful to change us. He's faithful to speak into my life and to do what needs to be done in my life, even when other people are being disobedient. When they're not hearing from the Lord. And you can see that, that God has taken away the livestock of your father. Now, Laban was a master tactician in that sense. He'd somehow managed to squeeze 20 years of servitude out of Jacob. But look who profits from it. The one who was taken advantage of. God's always got a plan. And his ways are above our ways. We can't know them. We don't know what God's up to sometimes. And it happened, verse 10, at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams... Leaped upon the flocks were, which leaped upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. And then an angel of God spoke to me in that dream. And so here Jacob is actually receiving a dream from the Lord. And I want to be really cautious here. Not every dream you have is because God spoke to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Some of them because you ate dinner too late. Some of the dreams you have or the enemy can get into your mind because your flesh computer uh, is still part of your flesh. It's not actually completely uh, governed by the spirit. As long as you're alive on this earth, you still have the capacity to think fleshly thoughts. And sometimes you think fleshly thoughts. But occasionally God does speak in dreams. And this happens to be one of those things. And the way that you can know whether a dream is from the Lord is what the purpose of the dream is and how it relates to things that are honoring to God. If a dream produces fear, it is not from the Lord. If a dream produces doubt of the goodness of God, it is not of the Lord. If a dream frightens you to the depths of your soul, so much so that you are racked with fear, it's not of the Lord. Because the author of fear is the enemy. And so that dream didn't come from God. But in this case, spoke to Jacob saying, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked and speckled and gray spotted. 
for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And so you can see how this dream is fairly discernible. Does God see everything? Oh, yes, he does. So Jacob is being reminded that God sees everything. That all that mistreatment, all that maleficence that was perpetrated on Jacob did not escape God. And so in this dream, God is confirming that he is good. He's going to take care of the situation. I've seen all that Laban is doing to you, and I am the God of Bethel. I am the God of the house of God. I'm the one who dwells in that house that I've asked you to go back to. In essence, he's saying, look, I I am who I am. I'm, I'm trying to tell you that these things have not escaped me, and I have seen them because this is my house that I'm sending you to. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made the vow to me. And now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. And again, you can see that God is confirming. He's saying, look, do what I told you to do the first time. This is not some bizarre thing. This is God confirming. Look, you you heard correctly. Get back to the house of God. Go where I told you to go. Be bold about it. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it circle it what God has said do it what God says do it be a doer in other words that James 1 promise and then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padam Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan and now Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel had stolen, to the, stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban, the Syrian. And he did not tell him that he intended to flee. And so he fled with all he had. And he arose and crossed the river and headed towards the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. And he took his brethren with him and he pursued them for seven days journey and he overtook them in the mountains of Gilead, a little more later. You see, true freedom, getting away from the things that bind us, true freedom is really about us getting back to where God wants us. As believers, God has a perfect plan and purpose for your life. God knows exactly what he wants to do in your life. And as he reveals those plans, he's seeking Uh, for us to get engaged in what it is that he wants us to do. Our problem is we take little stops just like this one, like Jacob. Jacob didn't go all the way to Bethel. Jacob kind of went into the mountains to where he could look back at where Laban was 
And he's kind of stuck halfway between doing what God asked him to do and going right back where he already had been. I want to tell you that is a really dangerous place for every believer. When God has told you that he wants you to get to his house, in other words, he wants you to go to that perfect place that he has for you, you should not stop halfway. You should be all in. You should say, yes, Lord, wherever that is, I'm going all the way to there. Because it's in those in-between places that we often get caught up in sin. It's those in-between places that we get caught up in compromise. It's in those in-between places that we find people who are just like us, not all in. And so they will be quick to convince you that stopping halfway is okay. Anybody ever experienced that? You talk to people who are not really walking with the Lord, guess what? They're perfectly cool with you not walking with the Lord all the way. They're very happy that you're not all the way in the house of God. They would prefer, in fact, that you don't go all the way to the house of God because it makes them feel better. It makes it seem like the things that they're doing are also okay. And so consequently, you have this whole group of people that end up stopped halfway to God's house. Halfway to Bethel. Don't let that be you. We have to get back to his altar. And I'm going to tell you, this is going to take spiritual guts on your part. It's going to take you really, truly fleeing the comfortable sometimes. The carefree. It's it's going to take you looking at the profitable things this world has to offer and say, I want no part of it. If it means I've got to stop halfway to God's house, you can have it. Because there's nothing that God offers us that he is also not willing to give us. And there is nothing that he wants for you that he is not able to put in your hands. He does not need us to stop halfway to his house and say, well, let me finish it with the flesh. That which was begun in the spirit will be completed only in the spirit. It can't be completed by the flesh. We've got to go all the way. And when you think about Jacob's life, you kind of wonder why he's even contemplating stopping. The dude's been in slavery. He's been taken advantage of. And God has said, look, I want you to return to your believing roots, if you will. Can I tell you that sometimes when you've been in slavery a long time, when you've been in the flesh for a long time, That draw back to the flesh can be really, really, really strong. Why? Because it's really comfortable. You know it well. You can quote it chapter and verse. And walking in the spirit is something new. And it's a little bit scary. It's like, you mean I got to turn control of my life over to the Lord? Yep. That's exactly what it means. It means for Jacob the same thing it means for you and I. It means we, we got to be walking, not just talking. Amen? That means that when we look at passages like this, I, I have to walk the walk. I've got to go all the way back to Bethel. I've, I've got to do that James chapter 1 thing. I've got to do what God's asked me to do. 
You, you see, I, I can't do it my way. And James, excuse me, in John chapter 8, and it's the words of Jesus that are recorded there. Jesus is speaking, he's answering, talking to the disciples. Some others are listening in. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. You know, you start to buy into the whole process and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. You see, you can stop halfway and you're still all slave. Because you can't just be a little enslaved to sin. Nor can you be completely free while not being free. If you are free and you're free indeed. Therefore, Jesus said, verse 36 of John 8, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And that word indeed is interesting. It means in totality. It is not just an exclamation point. It means totally free. Completely released from the bondage of your former master, which was sin. But stopping, we're actually helping the enemy. Verse 37 of John chapter 8, it says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. See what he's saying? He said, if you won't listen to the word, if you won't hear what the Lord says, if you won't do what the Lord says, Jesus would go on and say, look, I speak what I've seen with my father. You do what you've seen with your father. He basically says, look, your father is pretty obvious here. It's not me. And he goes on to tell him, look, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Again, it gets back to doing it. We can't just talk about it. I talk to a lot of Christians that when I start to share scriptures with them, they actually complete my sentences. I'm Brother Rob is saying, yep, Amen. Pastor Alex is saying the same thing. Yep, amen. You know why that is? Because people are hearers only and not doers. I know what it says. That's not the problem. God has spoken. That's not the problem. The problem is they refuse to do it. They won't take that next step and go from being a hearer to a doer. They go from well, I'm kind of sort of listening, but not really. To now I'm not listening at all. And I'm kind of walking back towards the world. This is the way people get back into sinful behaviors that they've already been delivered from. This is what happens in the life of every addict. This is what happens in every drunkard's life. This is what happens in every relationship that you shouldn't be in. This is exactly what happens when you start telling lies. This is what happens when you bathe yourself in bitterness. This is the story. God's word speaks truth in your life. You wander away from it about halfway. You stop. You turn around and look. And then you look at Bethel and that looks like a long ways because I'm going to have to give some stuff up and over there, it's right there. I can see, well, that wasn't that bad. And instead of walking all the way to your father's house, you start to kind of inch your way back over towards where you used to be. And it destroys your life. 
We've got to walk, not just talk. It is a painful thing to have to come to to grips with our weaknesses. But when we do, God can work. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our frame. He knows those spots that need attention. And he's more than willing to give us the attention necessary. But we've got to walk towards him. We can't walk away from him. He's the father in the story of the prodigal son. He's running down the road, but we've got to run towards him. God will be running after you, but you can still keep running away from him unless you're running towards Bethel, his house. The quickest way to that end is run back towards him. Amen? God's got that place for you. And in this story, there was some unfinished business that needed to be taken care of with Isaac and with Esau. And Jacob needed to head and get that done. But in this passage, we kind of see some things in the first 23 verses. Some things to leave by, if you will. What does it mean to really hear from the Lord? And there are four things that I see in this passage that I think we can kind of lay hold of as little keys as to how the Lord leads us when it's time to get out of a situation. In essence, the Lord telling us, look, you're dwelling in the land of Padam Aram. You're in slavery to your Laban. And I want you to get, to get back to Bethel. There are four things that I see here. The first thing that I see in Jacob's life was this inner witness, this desire of his heart You see, it had been six years before. If you go back to chapter 30 and you do a little bit of math, you're going to find that God was speaking in Jacob's life for six years. Get out of Dodge. And Jacob's going, well, just a few more sheep, a couple more goats. You know, if I just hang around here, I mean, I might have a few more things. It's going to get a little easier. Got some camels. There's always reasons that we can come up with to stay in a place we're not supposed to be. When God gives you the desire, when he's spoken into your life and he said, look, Jeff, get up and go. It's probably a really good time to listen and actually do it. Because very often that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, speaking to me. It's like, look, this is not good for you. And so you have that same thought over and over again. I'm not supposed to be here. Again, I will tell you from experience, I cannot even tell you how many times people will tell me, well, God told me to leave a long time ago. God told me to get out of that situation a long time ago. God told me that that guy or that that gal was not the one for me and I was supposed to get out of that reason, but I I didn't want to do it. Well, how long has the Lord been telling you that? Oh, like 10 years. And they're still in that relationship. God told me to quit drinking. Well, when did he tell you that? Well, actually before I started. But we had our excuses. You pick up that behavior, that that thing that God doesn't want you involved in, and you find out that inside of your heart of hearts, that every one of you knows exactly what I'm saying. 
Because I believe it's, it, it's hardwired into every human being. That place that, that we call our heart, that place that we call the depths of our feeling, we just know that we know that something's going on in there and it's not just we heard it from somebody else. That place that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, look, man, you got, you got to move. That's the first thing that I see here. Now it's true, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? That is true. That's why it's not the only thing. It's not, you don't just simply lean on this one thing, that one thing. There are three other things here that help confirm the fact that you did in fact hear from the Lord. That God was speaking to you. What's the second thing? God directs us sometimes in very much the same way that he's directing Jacob here, and that is through circumstances. God did this in the Apostle Paul's life. Absolutely. Read the book of Acts. You can't miss it. Now, God doesn't always just give you a feeling, and God doesn't always just lead you through circumstances. But when you stop, ha- start having that inner still small voice speak to you, and then your circumstances speak to you, And then as we're going to see these other two things speak into your life, the word of God speaks the same message and the confirmation of other witnesses, you can be pretty certain that God is trying to tell you something. And again, it it almost becomes laughable at times. Well, yeah, God gave me a desire. and Yeah, the Lord just kept closing every last door. And you're over there with a sledgehammer beating the door down. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And then you read in your Bible and guess what happens? Well, the Lord said, I really shouldn't do that. And then, oh, by the way, 15 of your Christian friends go, you shouldn't do that. And you're going, well, maybe I didn't hear from God. Of course you heard from the Lord. The problem is you didn't like the message. And so you go around looking for someone to give you another another message that's contrary to the word of the Lord, contrary to your heart, contrary to the circumstances. You make bad things into good things. You change bad circumstances into good circumstances. And you exchange the voice of the Lord for the voice of the world. But God was speaking. During those six critical years... Joseph and Jacob's noticing, look, the in-laws, they've kind of gone over the edge. Sometimes when God wants to move us, the first thing he does is make us really uncomfortable. You ever notice that in your own life? Think about it for a second. Has God ever stirred up your pot a little bit? God ever made it so every moment that you stay where you are, it's like, man, I can't believe it. it's like another bad day. Could it possibly be that the Lord's trying to get your attention and go, as long as you stay here, this is the way it's going to be. This is Deuteronomy 32 says, look, as an eagle stirs up the nest. You know, when an eagle gets big enough to, to begin to fly, normally they have to be coaxed out of the nest. They don't take that leap on their own. The mother eagle actually forces the eaglet out of the nest. And sometimes there's a precipitous drop to the ground the first time. But the point is, is that 
sometimes God has to get us to, to really take stock of the danger that we're in. And sometimes he allows those circumstances so that you'll realize it was, in fact, him pushing us. God spoke in all kinds of different crises to Jacob. In chapter 28, it was about his leaving home. In chapter 31, this chapter, it's about him returning home. We're going to see he's going to get another message of the same type when he meets up with Esau. Finally, when he visits Bethel, and finally, when he ends up down in Egypt, he's going to get that message again. God's going, look, I'm in this. I got this, but you got to do it my way. Now, I think the most important of these four ways is God speaks through the truth of his word. Exactly as Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. But hearing comes by the word of God. If I really want to know who God is and what God wants, the best way for me to start hearing is to start reading. Check out his word. What has he already said? For those of you that are parents, you ever get tired of telling your kids the same thing over and over again? Multiply times trillions. There's God in heaven who has spoken at times past through his word, amen? Isn't that what the book of Hebrews says? Spoken through his son, spoken through his word. He's spoken to us. And so God speaks to us and he authors his word and he leaves it to us and says, here, this is what I think about all these things. And then you have his kids on earth going, I don't think he meant that. No, see if we can test him on this one. Any of your kids ever try and push you to the edge? You've already told them no, like 7,000 times. And what do they do? Well, didn't say he was going to kill us. So I think we can still do it. That's kind of how we treat God sometimes. He has spoken through his word. And it doesn't say there, well, if you do this like it did in the Old Testament, right? There was an awful lot of things. I mean, I can't even imagine being an Old Testament Hebrew. I'm sitting there looking at the word of God and realizing that about half of the things that he said were punishable by a death sentence. Can I tell you something? The people still did them. Tells you how hard our heads are sometimes, amen? They, they get a direct, direct delivery notice from God. Here's what I have to say on the matter. They know what they're supposed to do. They not only don't do it, they do exactly the opposite. And then they wonder why they're in trouble with the Lord. God's word is truth. And we need to treat it as truth. And then finally, the book of Proverbs is just filled with these admonitions. It begins in chapter one and verse five. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Can I tell you, I've met an awful lot of Christians that try and find the dumbest counsel they can find. Serious as a heart attack. They don't go ask a pastor. They don't go ask somebody who's a leader in the church. They don't go ask somebody who's likely to give them a godly or a biblical answer. They go ask their stoner friends. Hey, man, do you think it's okay to smoke? Sure, dude. Why don't you go to my my dispensary? It's like, duh. Wise counsel and godly counsel are synonymous. They're the same thing. If you want to hear from God, ask somebody who has a godly opinion. 
not someone who's carnal and fleshly. God speaks through the counsel of people who have the same view as you do about God. Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no counsel, people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You get it? It's like you've got to ask the right people those questions. That's why sometimes it's almost laughable to listen to people. And again, I'm not bashing all support groups, but I've sat and listened to people in support groups who all have the same problem. That's not a great place to get counsel about your problem because they all have the same problem. They're all fighting the same battle. Not any of them. None of them are victorious. They're all going, yeah. I don't think I can do it either. Yeah, I can't do it either. And that's just chocolate. I've been trying to give up chocolate for years. Yeah, I took a job at Hershey's. It's like not wise, right? You got an issue with chocolate, you don't go talk to a bunch of factory workers at Hershey's. I'm pretty much they're going to tell you, yeah, well, I have kisses and I I keep them in my pocket. It's what you would expect. And the same is true from godless counsel when you're trying to get godly counsel. If you go to godless people and try and get counsel from them, what do you think they're going to tell you? So you combine these four things. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit? You have an inward motivation of heart that it's time to move. Is the Lord causing circumstances and situations in your life so that it is incumbent upon you to make a decision to step out in faith? Has the Lord through his word clearly spoken to you on the situation itself by what it says about where you are and have other people who love the Lord told you, yes, it's time for you to move? If you've heard those four things, That's God saying, time to go, time to move, time to head out. If you listen, you're going to be blessed. If you don't, you're going to be stressed. It's that simple. But it's also true that that newfound freedom, we'll pick up in verse 24 now, can bring about confrontation, problems. Verse 24, but God had come to Laban The Syrians who you have the first dream is to Jacob. The second one is to Laban. Now, why would God do that? You mean he speaks into unbelievers' lives? Yes, he speaks to unbelievers as well. But he does it for godly purposes. And said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Now, you can kind of see what God's doing here. And so Laban overtook Jacob, and now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched, pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? But you've stolen away from me unknown, and carried away my daughters like captives, taken with the sword. Why did you flee secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. You did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in doing so. 
trying to make him feel bad. He's trying to toss a guilt trip on him. He's trying to say, you know, if you'd have just stayed here, it would have been fine with you. The world will always give you that message. And so God preempts this a little bit by saying, don't say either good or bad. He's basically working on Jacob's behalf in the mind of Laban by saying, look, I don't want you to mess with him. So here comes Laban with this story, which is obviously not true. Laban was angry. Laban was upset. Verse 29 kind of begins to reveal, that's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my goods? There's not a thing that Jacob has that he's stolen from Laban. Every single thing he has is his wages. He, he didn't, those are his wives as much as we think that's weird and strange. And it is weird and strange. But his four wives, not two, Rachel, Leah, Billa, and Zillah, all the animals, but they're all his. He earned them. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. Fear will cause you to do things you never thought you would do. Fear will cause you to make bad decisions. Fear will cause you to be in places you're not supposed to be, especially fear of people and what they think people and what they might say. If the Lord has spoken, we do what God tells us to do. And we don't worry about what people are going to say. Because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. If God be for you, is there anyone that could be against you? Is he who's in you greater than he is in this world? So you can see how Laban is trying to kind of put on Jacob the world's thinking. He gives him a little bit to feed on. And, and Jacob is, look, look, I was afraid. And I was kind of thinking, you know, that you'd do it. Well, yeah, you can expect the world to act like the world. That, that we know for sure. But nobody can touch you unless God says so. Nobody can get to you unless God allows it. God's the one that has your life in his hand. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. For in the presence of your brethren, identify what I have that is of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Jacob's completely truthfully has no idea these idols have been absconded with. And Laban went to Jacob's tent and Leah's tent and the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. And finally, he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in a camel saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent and did not find them. And she, she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of this woman is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. 
And then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin? Why have you so hotly pursued me? Although you've searched all of my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, let, that they might be a judge between us both. These 20 years have I not been with you and your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young? Have I not eaten the, the, the rams of your flock? That which was torn by beast, did I not bring to you? I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or by night. And there I was. In the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I've been your house for 20 years and I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock. You've changed my wages 10 times. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. And God has seen my affliction, my labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. You see, Jacob finally puts it into perspective. It's like he's in this situation because he's doing the right thing. Because he's where he's supposed to be, he's finally going the right direction. Here comes the world after him. Here comes Laban after him. Here comes this man who has no right to take any of his things. And even had he found these household idols at this point, it still wasn't Jacob who took them. It was Laban's own daughter that did so. But God was there with them. And so the picture is this. We don't need to fear the world. The worst thing the world can do to us, actually, from the world's perspective anyway, is take our lives. That's the worst it can do. And if the world actually were able to do that, which it's actually not, it thinks it can. Because it is appointed unto man one time to die and then judgment. God's design is for you to have an appointment with him at some point in time. You're not going one second early. It only seems so from our perspective. If God's a sovereign God and he controls your life, then he knows when you're going to go. And yes, from our perspective, it seems like that cancer came into a, into a perfectly healthy life and snuffed it out too soon. Or maybe that car accident. It seems as though those things are controlled by somebody other than God. But God simply allows those things to happen and he knows exactly why he does it. We don't know why he does it. But Jacob was never outside of God's care. And the whole time that Jacob was slaving for Laban, God was taking stock of every last second. He says, you really don't want to do this, Laban. You know in Laban's heart, he's, he's getting the message. It's like, you need to knock this off. Why did you secretly deceive me? Because of fear. When in actuality, when you read the story, Jacob was completely safe because God had warned Laban, don't touch him. 
Was Laban distressed? Yeah. Was Laban distressed because his idols weren't the true and living God? Yeah, probably. But there's a picture here for those of us who are husbands. Men, stick up for what's righteous. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord and leave the results to God. Take your family to Bethel and don't let anything hold you back. Don't let anything stop you halfway. You can trust God to have your back in your family. If God's going to take care of his chosen people, Israel, and this is one of those great encouragements to us who are believers in Jesus. God's chosen people, Israel, they are still God's chosen people. And he has a plan to redeem them one day, because your Bible says so, or in Romans 11, all Israel is going to be saved. But I can tell you the history of the children of Israel is anything but obedience for most of, the, most of its existence. They've been disobedient. If God will take care of the disobedient children that he has chosen, Israel, don't you think he's got us, his kids by grace, under control? Don't you think he knows what's going on in your life? You can trust God. So much so, sometimes the promises that are made to, to Israel during the, the tribulation um, are, are so wonderful for us to look at. Because there in Ezekiel chapter 7, it's really given a picture of the, a part of a period of the, of the tribulation. And then it kind of culminates with a little bit of a preview. After the raptures happen, the church is in heaven. And here's the children of Israel fighting for their lives with the Antichrist. The battle of Armageddon is about to happen. And a description there is in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 7. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel. Thus says to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, an end. An end has come upon the four corners of the land, and now the end has come upon you. And I will send my anger against you and I will judge you according to your ways and I will repay you for all of your abominations. My eye will not spare nor will I have pity but I will repay you for your ways and your abominations will be in your midst and then you shall know that I am the Lord. God will not stop short of any means to make sure that we know who he is. is up to us to make sure that that path is as easy as it can get. When we are obedient, the Lord calls off those things. When we say, yes, Lord, I'm doing it your way, he says, why don't you live in the land of milk and honey? When we say yes to the things of the Lord and the ways of the Lord, God releases us from those things which he will do if we don't do what he says. You see, God doesn't take any delight in the death of his children. God doesn't take any delight in punishing us. But he is so good and so holy that he will. And so in this case, what you can see is God will go as far as God has to go. But God will always get his will accomplished. How short that path is to his goodness is up to us. 
And in the case of those that were chasing after Jacob, Laban and his, and his crew, they were going to get theirs, but they were going to get it from God. They were going to be repaid, but they were going to be repaid by God because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's God's job. It's not your job. It's not my job. You don't even have to worry about it. If somebody needs a whooping, somebody needs a spanking, God's able and he will do it. But don't you spank them and then find out that you spanked them for no reason because God already had it under control. That just brings about bitterness in our lives and anger and angst. Let it go. Let God, let God be God. And so this ends with a fragile truce. The final verses of this chapter. A very fragile truce. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore come and let us make a covenant to you between you and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. And so Jacob took a stone and set it on a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took up stones and made a heap. And they ate there on that heap, and Laban called it Jagar, Shadutha, which Jacob called it Gilead. And this heap was a witness between you and me that day, and therefore its name shall be called Gilead, also Mizpah, which means agreement, watchtower. And because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another, if you afflict my daughters... Or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us to see, God is witness between you and me. And then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap, here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me, and this heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, and I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. And the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and he called his brethren to eat and they ate the bread and stayed all night up there on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. A fragile truce that was actually unnecessary if Jacob had done things God's way. There could have been a real truce. There didn't need to be this temporary cessation of hostility. There could have been a real cessation of hostility. Had Jacob just boldly believed what God had told him to do and done it. But he stopped halfway. He was in this place where this was necessary because he didn't go all the way to Bethel. If he'd have kept moving, if he'd actually conquered by claiming, you see, one of the best ways for you to conquer anything in your life is claim the promises of God. Lean on them, rest on them, trust in them. Don't give in to those things which run counter to the promises God's made to you. Look, God will establish you. God will strengthen you. God will carry you home. God will get you through. He is faithful to complete that which he's begun. 
Don't be a slave to the world. When God convinces you it's time to move, move. And when he tells you to move, you move all the way. You go wholehearted towards God. I know that he is moving towards you as well. Amen? Why don't you stand and we'll close in prayer. Some of the pastors are going to come up and maybe some of you have got a place in your life to where you you kind of stop halfway or three quarters or 90% or maybe there's an area to where you just know you need to take one more step. You're almost there, but you're having a tough time. And maybe you need to share that with somebody tonight. Just get it off your chest and release it to the Lord and just walk in faith, be a doer. God's spoken. He's he's moved in your life. Your heart is stirred. The circumstances around you are clear. The word of God has spoken into that situation and people have confirmed it, but you haven't gone all the way. Maybe that's you tonight. Don't rest another minute halfway. Take the rest of the steps. Go all the way to God's house. Father, we thank you Lord, we thank you that you are, in fact, good. And Lord, in the story of Jacob and Laban, we see your goodness, Lord. Jacob wasn't fully faithful, but you've asked us to be fully faithful. Lord, you were faithful to him even when he was lacking faith, even when he walked in fear of a man who actually couldn't touch him. And so, Father, we commit to you tonight our lives. Lord, there are some of us that have stopped partway to Bethel. Lord, we, we set up a tent and we've had to engage in a fragile truce with the world. We haven't gotten all the blessings that you want for us because we haven't gone all the way to the place that you have for us. And so, Lord, we're asking you to show us those areas of our lives. Or is there some sin we're stumbling over, some area of our life where we haven't fully surrendered, God, would you reveal that to us tonight? Would you move in our lives in such a way that we would know which way to go? Lord, we confess that sometimes it's hard and we need your help. And so, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word to mold and shape our lives and for the example of your goodness and faithfulness, even when this man who ultimately will father the Hebrew nations the Jewish people, whose name will one, be cha- one day be changed to Israel, governed by God. Lord, thank you for his example. May we be inclined to always be found in Bethel. In Jesus' name, amen.